Pacey is a sports performance practitioner, and like many of us, he cut his teeth in professional sports as a strength and conditioning coach for teams in the United Kingdom. Prior to these roles, however, Rob himself was a professional football player at Doncaster Rovers FC. He has empathy for the work required to stay on top of your game. Upon leaving the practitioner's space and venturing into market placement and education with tech company Catapult Sports, Rob created a network of practitioners globally. Rob knows that peer-to-peer education is a key part of learning and intellectual adaptation for everybody in professional sports. So he decided to start a podcast to bring these experts together. Now, talk about a pioneer in that space. He started his podcast back in 2013. With over 300 episodes captured with some of the world's best performance practitioners, Rob has designed himself a front row seat to insight. I thought it was about time we moved him, this week only, from podcast host to podcast guest. Take a listen to one of the most well-rounded, humble, yet informed sports performance professionals on the planet. Hey, if you're enjoying the podcast series, consider subscribing, rating, and sharing this show. Rob, it's phenomenal to see you, and thank you for taking the time all the way from the UK for the Human Kinosome Project podcast. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. We've talked privately, and I'm glad to get it on get, get it on record. Mate, well, it's great to catch up with you as always. There's always some insight that comes out of this. For our listeners, Rob, tell us a little bit about Sportsmith and where that idea generated from. And I want to talk about the impact you've had, because I think it's been a stunning impact, uh, especially uh, throughout our European cohort and colleagues, and I know it's picking up in the US thank as you, well. Firstly, thank you very much. I suppose it, maybe a good place to start would be a little bit of background on me, and then I can forward in, into yeah. um, into Sportsmith and what's what's happened yeah. since. And I think this thread will probably what I'm going to say will run throughout and probably make sense as we go along. So I always wanted to be a professional footballer, as every guy in the UK, young boy in the UK, wants to be a professional footballer. Yeah. And I was lucky right. enough to have that opportunity for three or four years with a League One club, so third tier in in England. Then that mm. club ended up going to the second tier and kind of flip flopping between between there. So I got that little bit of a taster of what it what it was like, and then I went to a semi professional level. Yeah. But interestingly enough, I was at, I played at that club at a time, which was two thousand and three to two thousand and seven. So it was at a time where right. two thousand three, like be completely transparent with you, people would come in after a day off. And having been out the night before, and probably yeah. still stinking a bit, still stinking a booze, <laughs> yeah. and that was kind, of, that yeah, was kind of exactly. normal. That was just normal. Right. People would come mm. in on the on the Monday in the clothes they went out with on Sunday night, and it was just like that's just how it was. And in them couple of years after then, so two thousand and five, two thousand six, two thousand seven, things started to become a little bit more professional. Anyway, so I left in two thousand eight, yeah. played semi professional, ended up going to do a sports science degree, and, and my thought process was: mm. if I'm not good enough to play in this environment, I want to be in this environment in some capacity. So I'd I'd mm. explored mm. physiotherapy, kind of wasn't for me. So I'd gone into mm. sports science, ended up doing some teaching yep. in primary schools, elementary schools over here, and ended up going back to the same club five years later with a degree. Uh, into a into a job that yeah. um, that was kind of given to me because I knew what was going on there. I knew someone was leaving, and it was still mm. the same man. It was still the same yeah. manager that had released me five years previously. 
But but in a <laughs> wow. really good relationship yeah. and the, the, probably yeah. something that's come up quite a lot since me leaving is the realization that people want somebody in a role as probably like I was in like an academy role, someone that's not going to rock the boat, someone that's going to get on with the players. Right. Yes, they might be a little bit green like I was, but someone that we can mold and 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 craft to what we want. Now I was that person. Right. So I ended up staying there for a couple of mm. years. At that point, probably two, two or three years in, I wanted to move on and I ended up starting the podcast. Yeah. And mm. that was in two, uh, late 2013 when knew, no one knew what a podcast was. Right. I was approaching people. Yeah. I was approaching yeah. guys that I knew to start off with. I was approaching people who were kind of one level back from those people for recommendations. And mm. genuinely, I was getting mm. people asking me, so you want me to write an article? Like, what What do you want me to do? <laughs> I'm like, well, we get on this thing and we talk and I record it and I just ask you questions. So, like, wow, <laughs> how bizarre. Yeah. So there, there wasn't many at, yeah. around at the time, especially in the UK. I mean, there was Mike Boyle's Strength Coach podcast in yeah. the States that I used to listen to. That's right. But yeah. in the UK, there wasn't, there wasn't yeah. loads. So I became this makeshift podcast host who didn't know what he was doing, absolutely blagging it. And um, people started to listen, and I realised that it didn't. I didn't get a new job yeah. off it. Like that's that state that early doors. It didn't lead to a new job, but what it did lead to was becoming this podcast guy for 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 especially in the UK, yeah. um, who would get on people from mm. the states, from Australia, and high performance positions, heads mm. of, directors of, and just ask them questions and kind yeah. of dive a little bit deeper into their practices. And I think one thing that's come out over that yeah. last seven or eight year period is how much more open people have become in that period. Been quite guarded at the start. Wow, yeah. Why is this guy asking me these questions about what I do with my players? To now, I'm, I want to tell right. you because it's it's good for us. It, it puts our department forward. It shows the great work that we're doing. So when we advertise for a job, people hear the great work and they want to come. We get the best people. Yeah. And it's become a little bit of a strategy yeah. for people actually to push people from their department onto the podcast because it makes the club, it makes the department look good. Yeah, so you you become you become a marketing vehicle yeah. in many ways and a recruitment yeah. tool for uh, for these clubs and that and that's the evolution. I mean, of of anything that you're doing, right? Like this, I think it's that it's that evolution to that point of excellence, right? And and I say that you know with with all measurement due because you know the we learned when we were starting out down this podcast route it's uh, i remember reading a statistic like most podcasts die after yeah. four episodes right and so we're looking at that going okay four episodes i mean why did you even spend the money on the mic <laughs> yeah. and the headphones yeah. at that point right but uh, you've you've had that sustained success for you though i don't think it was all first movie you were the first one you weren't the kleenex mm. of podcasts right so to speak what it was for me, and the reason I continued to listen to just about everything you've put out over the last 10 years has been the content yeah. quality. And I think, Rob, you have a very unique way of extracting you know, information from people. And it's not like you're interrogating them. There's no bamboo <laughs> under the fingernails or you know, yeah. any of that stuff going on, right? It's more, it's all about, you know, people are willing to talk to you because one, uh, you're a peer, right? And I think this whole area of peer-to-peer -peer education and we're all searching for those insights every day, right? No matter what the athlete is and what the group is we're looking for. And your content is a phenomenal place. Thank to you find. very much. So again, that's that's very kind. I think one thing that I've that has been of benefit to me is that 
as I've gone on, I've stepped back away from being one-on-one with athletes or when, when, uh, in a group setting with athletes in, a, in an elite sport. And I've because mm. I don't have that day-to-day, I don't particularly have any agenda, I don't think I have, to right. to fix my own problems. Mm. I'm thinking of the wider, yeah. trying to think of what the audience wants. So I think that's probably benefited, right. benefited me that I don't have that that connection directly with athletes anymore. Yeah. And I've just tried to yeah. try to appeal to the audience. What what does everyone want versus what can I slyly mm. get information can I glean from this person to help me because from a selfish right. point of view. So I'm hoping that comes across and just yeah. yeah, try to make people feel as comfortable as possible. That's that's my aim. Yeah, no, it does. It comes across well, mate, and it's very genuine. And we'll make sure we've got a link to yeah, uh, Sportsmith on our uh, website, you know, uh, for this yeah. as well, so people can tune in and and take a listen. But how many episodes <laughs> are you at now? What's your total kind of content? Where are you at? Yeah, so. Today was three hundred and seventy nine, which is yeah, wow. so, yeah. Awesome. So we've been doing a weekly pod, weekly one since about two thousand and late two thousand fourteen. Mm. So initially it started out once every two weeks, right. then it went to once every ten days, then it was. Mm. I'm making a commitment now. It's once every week, so it's Thursday morning mm. UK time. It yeah. goes out five a.m. just Love for it. the early risers who are on the road, and yeah, that's it's it's continued since then. But I don't think I answered the first question, which was the the sportsmith bit. And the Pace Performance Podcast has yeah. kind of morphed. And I just wanted to add more content to the platform without it being under my name. Yeah. So Sportsmith is the kind of umbrella right. brand right. that the Pace Performance Podcast sits under, as well as other streams yep. of content. So, yeah, in a nutshell. Yeah, no, absolutely brilliant, mate. And look, over that time period, too, one of the things I always look for, like I, I try to see, is there a common problem? out there and are there common or is there a solution to a common problem i'll give you an example of this one of the one of my buddies matt howley who we actually had on the podcast early who works for uh real salt lake spent a lot of time in around matt he came out of melbourne we have you know similar backgrounds i try to you know remove my confirmation bias on matt but he continues to be one of those practitioners that is moving up the ladder no matter what he does and he's getting some really good results but i remember talking to him one day and i said to him mate i said look if there's one thing that's kind of overwhelming right now if there was one thing you had what's the holy grail of data day to day and he looked at me square in the eyes and he said mate he goes if i knew their readiness if i knew these athletes readiness every single day I would have something that I could work off titrate and even communicate with throughout the entire coaching staff. And that was that was really unique. And I said, yeah, I said, you know, it's the same thing for me as a practitioner in baseball. That's what I wanted. You know, I want to see their readiness, you know, every every kind of day. And we're trying to figure out ways around that. What have you seen that's kind of constant over all the practitioners that you've had on and panels of people that you've had on some of the biggest names in European sport and US sport that you've had on the podcast? Has there been anything like if you had to pull back and say there's one kind of overwhelming gap or something that everyone's seeking? I mean, I had my arm in the early days. I don't think he was at Real Salt Lake, but I can't remember where he was in the MLS at that point. Um, but yeah, great guy. Yeah. So I'd, I'd yeah. definitely echo that. Um, mm. I think the readiness score or the one, like it always comes back to me. It always comes back, especially from a technical coach point of view, this simple mm. one number like one number to tell me X. And I know it like that's a super, super simplification yeah. of of what a sports scientist or, or data uh, analyst does, data scientist does on a day-to-day basis. Mm. But it always comes back to whittling this down to potentially one number. However, 
I definitely agree with Matt on, yeah. on you on the on the readiness stuff. But I think one area that has probably gone through a bit of a the washing machine a little bit is is kind of come round, come back out, yeah. and then yeah. gone back in again is the injury prediction. And I think that's hmm. one thing that is really interesting. And there's a couple of companies out there who are doing some really interesting stuff. And I think I've had people on the podcast probably three or four years ago who've said, "Don't nobody should be going anywhere near this. You can never do it. It's just pointless. Hmm. You're going down a rabbit hole. Hmm. You'll never come back up. Right. Whereas, whereas now I think that is a, a solution that, well, there is solutions out there that are maybe not, solving the whole problem because there's going to have to be some human in there at some point to make a decision. Yeah. But I think we are slowly yeah, yeah. getting there when companies are providing the necessary information for humans to make a better judgment on the risk. And I think right. that's the important thing, the risk of someone getting, not whether they are or not, but a percentage yeah. risk. Is it a high risk? Is it a medium risk or is it a low risk? Yeah. And I think that's really important to differentiate. So that's a super cool area for me that is emerging or has been emerging for a while. Yeah, we're, like I see the same, right? So I spent some time over at Zone yeah. 7 who are really active in that domain and really bringing, well, you know, everyone throws out the words AI and ML and, you know, all these different like ways to look and unpack data, right? And try to look for patterns that could indicate risk. I mean, if we can do that and the better we get at that, there's, there's kind of gating factors around data though too, right? I mean, there's things like, okay, noise versus signal from the from the units that you're using to collect data. Are you, are you getting consistency and say recovery information from your athletes? There's so many different kind of layers of data that are becoming available right now. And I think one of the beauties of, you know, having a, a almost a machine learning approach to this where we're drawing out risk is sometimes that pattern recognition uncovers blind spots we didn't even know existed, right? So it's great to have that machine learning application in the background, but mate, you're 100% right. People talk about, I almost hate the term injury mm. prediction because people who can't do it uh, abuse yeah. that term, right? And they had it they had it going for so long, and for me, it was risk stratification. You know, if we can say somebody's in a zone of risk based upon just even if it was load, right? Chronic acute load kind of scores, and mate, you and I were both at Catapult. I mean, we uh, we we both spent some time um, through that now engine of sports science globally, and. One of the things I look back on when I think about my time there is we created this player load score in the early days in like 2013 and to try to get to that one number. So we knew how hard practice was, right? But at the end of the day, especially in the US, what I noticed is that became the only information anybody cared about. And then they were trying to squeeze every athlete into a one size fits all, right? Well, if you're not a 7 and 28, you know, algorithm you know based upon tim gabbard's research <laughs> then you're doing this wrong and i think that's one of the things i think we're getting you know as data is now probably the uh, it's it's i won't call it a governing element but it's one of the more critical elements that we look at and unpack in elite sports we need access to ml you know for risk yeah. analysis so yeah mate i hear that all the time as well but it, isn't it interesting too how how even access to data is morphed in your time over the course of the podcast, right? Because I think it was, it was was catapult and catapult only at one point, and then now look what we got access to. Yeah, absolutely. And you look at someone like a Val Performance. So they're putting out annual yeah. normative data based on NFL, based on yeah. um, UEFA competitions, Champions League, UEFA um, 
uh, conference yeah. league or whatever it's called now, and putting out these normative yeah. values yeah. from their tech to help their users provide these normative values to to so where they to, to understand where they're pitched. So it's just things like that. Like yeah. I, I know we didn't yeah. have this kind of data back in 2013 when I started, but just going back to the the peop the, the sharing side of things, that would just never have happened. Like this, the the secret never. source would yeah. never have been communicated but now it's like <laughs> yeah. i know people are yeah. desensitizing data and you only get to see where you are on the list mm. not where everyone else is but even so yeah it's great yeah. to see that that sharing is going on and almost that expectancy mm. is is there now yeah. versus where right. it was five six seven years ago which i think can only be good for the industry to, sh to, to pull together to share right. and it goes back to the zone seven stuff like we can if you're a club yeah and you're looking at injury prediction, using your own data set. I'm no expert in this area, but that's not going to happen. Yeah. But if you're pulling together 20, 30, 40 clubs, right. and then you're looking at the data, okay, now you're getting something super, super interesting, which is what them guys are doing. Look, at the end of the day, I think any numbers that are presented, you know, there has to be a confidence interval that is attached to those things, right? Even if it was a readiness score, or even if it was... You know, the, the player load score from Catapult, right? If we were just using that. I remember going into various even NFL teams and, and, and trying to figure out, okay, this doesn't look right. And it was, you know, it was the uplink and the GPS uplink that we had access to and the satellites that we could or couldn't get. Like, good luck. I used to say to Dave Tenney um, when he was with the Seattle Sounders, I'd look at Dave and go, Mate, I said, we're in a taco shell in the stadium. I said, we yeah. can't get access to anybody, anything in the sky to really pull this, pull the data down and have a level of confidence with it relative to, you know, um, being able to transact on that information. Because at the end of the day, mate, that's the way I still look at data is it's currency. And I've, that's got to transact somewhere. I've, otherwise, I'm collecting kind of useless information. But of all the spheres that are out there, when I look at an athlete-centric system and model, and I've applied this, you know, with the Australian national team and with, you know, baseball teams historically, you know, the ones that have been successful with this, getting to an athlete-centric kind of model, right, where we understand the emotional, the cognitive, the physical systems, which we're getting a lot of data from now, the technical ability of that athlete, whether that's caught by markerless motion capture now, you know, dovetailing that into tactical and strategic use for a club and then trying to look at the system, how it applies in an athlete-centric way for me has been something that has been liberating, right? It's not just data pushing down on an athlete, but of all those areas, have you seen or do you think there's one area that, I'll quote Marcus Elliott, that there's a lot of slack in the system, like we've got a long way to go in understanding any one of those parts of the equation? Uh, or do you think do you think we're at a peak point where, yeah, we're getting everything that is even possible at this point, and, and now it's time to kind of remanage algorithms on how we use that data? What are your thoughts around that? I had a couple of guys come on, and they were, they were all in, well, two guys and a girl, all in academy football. And one of the quotes that I think I remember mm. not, I'm not saying this verbatim, but it was basically saying yeah. the cognitive and the psychological side of things, the psychological and cognitive load, is probably we're at the place now where strength and conditioning was 10 years ago, in the UK specifically. Oh, wow. So that is an area clearly yeah. that them guys, and I'm going to push what they think as, as well as what I think, from from that conversation, but yeah. that was their perspective on on that. So that that clearly shows to me that that is an area that mm. they want to improve because they think it's a an area right. that is that is missing. We've gone down heavy on the physical, like heavy on the physical, mm. and probably mm. lost or missed 
but because it had to understand and had to pin down this psychological cognitive side and that's only yeah. from the aspect of a, right. an academy um, football club over here in the UK and that might be slightly different everywhere else but there's one, one other thing that you mentioned in, in that as well and that was the 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 bigger organization and the and the impact that a sports scientist or a data analyst can have mm. in various other aspects right. of an organization and that's come up a couple of times in in podcasts that I've done with people. Mm where we're trying to understand the value of a sports scientist. Where can that sports scientist or data analyst, data scientist, how can they prove their value to the organization? Mainly because they want right. to get paid more, and rightly so, and that, that's fine. Yeah. So how can, yeah. How can yeah. you infiltrate other areas of the organization? Now, I mean, at Catapult, we were doing, mm. um, through ClearSky, doing league-wide deals. So they could have data on screen and... Right. You know, visualize that and we i think yeah. they did that with the rugby league and the super league grand final just recently mm-hmm. on sky and i think that's yeah. one area that probably for in my experience speaking to people is missed like how can mm. that data that is valuable to you and from a, a physical back to the physical physical point of view in the sports science side but that's super engaging from a commercial from a marketing Oh, yeah. But this maybe yeah. it's location of staff, maybe it's other things. But I think there seems to be yeah. some sort of uh, disconnect there. And I think if that gap was bridged, yeah. them sports scientists and them data scientists and analysts could just elevate themselves from where they are in that little piece of the organization to to spanning the whole thing. Yeah. Like for me, how cool would it be if right. I was a marketing guy? How can I communicate? that X person has done this against Y person that's done that. Again, we have to be careful when it comes to sharing of this kind of information and maybe pushback from players. But yeah, yeah. the information right. is out there anyway. It's getting mm. shared amongst clubs. Oh, exactly. So why couldn't yeah. we we leverage that into a, the wider organizations? That, that For me, yeah. that's really interesting. And I think seeing data on screen is probably the... Yeah. Just the tipping point of, of that. Yeah, and I think you're right. And and, and that's the thing, like in, in terms of the discussions I've had here in the US, and I won't mention who it was with, but one of the, well, big five elite sports, right? Pro sports. And one of the players associations I had a great conversation with because kinetics, we were looking at the, you know, showing the data that could potentially come off this insole and how that could be used and how we, you know, how we can un- unlock a lot of information really quickly. And the discussion was, you know, we were sitting in New York, the discussion was, you know what, the, um, it, this is all fine and dandy on the player health and safety side of the equation, but where else could that data potentially transact? So we start looking at, okay, well, there's a, to your point, a whole fan engagement side of data, right? That I think, probably the reason it's not um, understood is probably we're not simplifying the message well enough as a sports scientist to understand, like, to let our fans know this athlete potentially is fatigued based off the data. And, you know, there's, and I remember having this conversation with the the CEO of uh, Zebra Technologies at the time, Jill Stelfox. And I said to Jill at this conference we were at, I said, yeah, it's going to be because we were competitive technologies at that time. I said, Jill, it's going to be interesting when we get down to those measurements in game and in big games and what that looks like. And she said something I'll never forget. She goes, yeah, let me show you some of the data from this uh, bowl game that they had just done, this national championship series. And she said, we expected these guys, you know, the average we were getting off these players was 21, 22 miles per hour. Um, 
in terms of their top speed. She goes, I had guys running 23, 24 miles an hour, certain players, right? It wasn't across the board because I would have said mm-hmm. there's an error in the deck, right? But no, it was it was like certain players were stepping up and going beyond expectation and beyond capacity. And I remember looking at her, I said, yeah, mate, that's the one thing we still can't measure the mm-hmm. human spirit, right? Mm-hmm. What happens when it's a big game? You know, can someone step up and go outside capacity? But it's but it's absolutely fascinating from from tracking technologies that are now available on field to recovery data that's coming off products like Aura Ring, Whoop, Eight Sleep. We could go down that domain, right? Um, are you seeing any technology emerging uh, currently? I've seen one or two that I think are really hot that are coming out of the, uh, out of the UK actually right now. But um, have you seen anything that you think, boy, you know, there, there's there's an area that I think, you know, this tech could really help a team and a practitioner with athletes. Yeah, I promised I wouldn't become the host, but I'd love to get your insight as well when I when I when I answer this. Um, yeah. I think yeah. I'll probably come back yeah. to the like a, a zone seven, which is I think really interesting when it comes to injury mm. um, injury risk. Don't know how to right. injury understand yeah. the injury risk, but like you say, the the more integrated technologies like a like an aura ring that to me i mean we've got we've got an article coming out <clears throat> on sports within the next couple of weeks which is looking at whoop versus aura and the kind of um right. yeah oh, so wow. 12 a 12 yeah. month basically a 12 month case study with with two uh, two co-authors Excellent. looking at the the uh, interplay between the two what you mm. get what you don't get how reliable it is and there's some really interesting insights there. And I wow. think there's quite a few of them online and yeah, because yeah. Of, of how big they've got yep but what's really interesting to me is how bigger bigger companies like a Whoop or bigger companies like a, a Catapult are investigating where they can they can take other smaller brands and smaller companies under their wing and integrate them in their tech. And we've seen that with Whoop with with Push, right. and and how yep. that will turn out and where that will go. I think that's super mm. super interesting. And I think obviously Catapult doing yeah. their thing with <clears throat> making acquisitions and trying trying their best to integrate them within their their ecosystem for me, that is mm. that's a super interesting one. And and um, Val mm. doing exactly the same, taking on Fusion Sport and Smart Speed, uh, that their technology yeah. and seeing where that integrates. So it's pulling all these hundred technologies and the big ones picking off the where they can where they can kind of plug gaps in their tech. So personally, that's where I get excited. Not particularly the. Yeah. The emerging one, like there is the odd one, but I think, yeah, the, the, the acquisition yeah. and the pooling of, of tech into into one multiple ecosystems is, is pretty cool. But I'd love to get your take, Gary, because you, you know this area really well. Yeah, we'll talk about we can talk about that maybe offline yeah, of a little bit more too because I think you know at the end of the day, like even what we're doing at Kinetics, look, I understand the value of like you know, I kind of call I've always called it a first ordered metric, understanding that athlete's foot ground interaction, right? You know, whether it's force, force impulse, pressure distribution in the foot, you know, how they are able to consistently cut and turn and what impact that has up the kinematic chain, right? But there are limiting variables like rate limiting factors that we've also got to look at. And one of those could be physiological readiness, right? Can I get the you know the oxygen needed to the muscle group firing? You know, is that going to limit force production, for example? There are so many areas. It could be cognitive, it could be emotional, right? It could be any one of those factors that we unpack could be a rate limiting rationale or reason why an athlete's not performing at capacity. So I think catapults move to go into an ecosystem uh, or at least 
at least open their eyes to that there's other things out there that are, are as valuable as, as yep. player load. I think those are the things that we've got to look at and understand moving forward because, yeah, it's going to be a dashboard of, of systems, right? And it's I've always kind of looked at things and said, yeah, like you spend so much time mining data, looking for correlations. And, you know, the way most athlete management systems are even set up now, they're just straight line visualizations of single data sets. And you have to be... You have to know what you're looking for, and then uh, then you've got your bias creeping in, right? If you go in to find something, you'll find it. So, yeah, it's it's going to be a really interesting um, play. I think we'll see what we've saw in even like commercial fitness over the years that these companies will morph into one. They'll have you know some biomechanical you know physical systems measurement tool they'll have a recovery tool they'll have a physiological tool and then beyond that it's going to be i think specific to an athlete um that's where i'd like to be as a practitioner just know which which tools i'm confident in and apply them into that puzzle that's a really interesting take on the on the more i suppose um consumer side and i think that's a real Mm. opportunity for i'm just thinking of of where where sportsmith is at and understanding the opportunities out there for sports scientists and ironically, the, the thing that I said a minute ago with the whoop versus aura, it's been done by two, right. well, a guy and a girl who've just recently moved across to work for Lululemon in Vancouver. Oh, yeah. Two, yeah. Well, one Irish um, guy and a, and, a, and a British girl, which is super, super interesting because they're going, I mean, Pete was working at the Football mm. Association with the with the national team and he's yeah. going to work to work for Lululemon because right. it's so exciting in terms of the wow. innovation that's going on in them yeah. kind of areas that I think we need to definitely take notice of and not just look at the catapults and yeah. the valves and the whoops, but look at these like strictly consumer, maybe, maybe mm. brands that you wouldn't think are doing this kind of thing. Like um, right. obviously Lululemon right. been a very much an apparel um brand but yeah mm. i think that's something that could be really interesting as well especially for sports scientists who are looking to pivot yeah. and maybe get a bit of a life back maybe from professional sport and uh yeah. and go down the consumer <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, yeah the consumer brand so yeah super super interesting yeah lululemon have been impressive you know and they have this wonderful thing they call it white space labs where they get in and they iterate yeah. from the ground up right so that that's kind of really unique and i think we're going to see a lot more of that come through and you know, for the first time, it may be the first time in history that we're reversing that model of, you know, we normally have caught data on athletes all the time and filtered it down to the consumer. Yeah, maybe you're right. It, it could spin around and turn. The one thing I know is that companies that are in that space, they, under, they understand the friction of a wearable, right? How much trouble it is. And, and if they create a model that's, say, a membership or subscription-based model, then they know that they've got to keep that churn low. And and so the product has got to be easy to use, simple to understand the data and valuable, right? It's just that simplicity. And if they can deliver that, you know, uh, to a consumer, then yeah, you're right, 100%. It could be a ton of stuff we can get for our professional athletes. But having said that, and understanding how data is kind of being globally viewed, and this is going to be a difficult question, mate, and I don't want to put you on, in the hot seat, but I'm going to. Is there an organization that you're looking at that you say, you know what, these guys consistently deliver on the sports science side, whether or not it's wins and losses. I mean, there's so many factors that go into even that, right, if, if we unpack that. But is there someone doing phenomenal work 
or an, or even a national governing body or an, or institutes or even private enterprise or even individuals that you think that's somebody to watch they're a leading light for us in the future is there anyone there is one organization large organization that comes to mind now kind of flip it to to fit to fit my agenda to a certain extent yeah yeah but that's the, that's the football association here in the UK now that's headed up from a physical point mm. of view by um an, an Aussie Bryce Kavanagh Used to be in rugby, worked in cricket, right, got a right. really solid background. Right. Um, fellow ginger as well, so it's you know I'm pushing the pushing the gingers. So yeah, so he heads it up, but Love he's it. got a team team below him. And then the reason I mentioned those guys mm. is because a couple of years, well, 2020, I think it was 2019, 2020, they mm. started to open up their I suppose toolbox of what they do with their athletes, what they do with the national team players. Premier League players uh, right. mostly, and that was probably a mm. first for me of being so open from an organisation like that to present. This is what we do with players on camp. Like, come and join us. Come to this mm. conference. We're going to present. Right. There's going to be four of us who are going to take our little bit, and we're going to present this information. And that's what I'd love to. I'd love to integrate something like that into mm. into Sportsmith, especially with those guys, because I think mm. again it probably goes right. back to what I'd said right at the start. It was the secret sauce that no one wanted to, mm. no one wanted to say what they were doing. But now you've got people like the yeah. FA who are going, yeah. no, we're happy to tell you. Like we want this information out there. We think yeah. we've done some good work, right? And we'd love people's input. And I think that's why I would yeah. push them guys forward. One, because I know them personally, I know their right. agenda and what they're trying to do, yeah. and they're trying to do the good. They're trying to do the best for their athletes, but the best for English football, which is educate the practitioners out there to to learn from the the right. dedicated time that they've put into nutrition, put into recovery, put into all these different areas. Mm. Mm. So I would definitely push them, them guys, and they've got some phenomenal practitioners in there so yeah they would be my number one shout for, for answering that question that that's awesome and you know what's really interesting there rob is is the you know, the key element that you raised there yeah. is transparency right that they're sharing this information i think once you've got a level of confidence and maybe even job security right i think that's when that transparency really takes hold because what you're looking for it's like computer scientists and data scientists that write code for you know secure systems online sometimes they'll open it up and say hey yeah we'll pay a price to anyone yeah, who can hack so. our system right and that's really what they're doing is, is is putting the system up transparently and enabling like other practitioners to go well hang on a second i think you've got your weighting incorrect on your metrics or you know you you're, you're trying to do a b or c and i think it's it's that transparency opens up the discussion and everyone can get better from that 100% Absolutely. And yeah, I just think they're doing some really good stuff. I'm, I'm excited to see what they come out with in the future with this transparent. And it runs across the whole organization. You look at the the head coach and yeah. it kind of all makes sense. It all it all intertwines how the organization is going. So yeah, they'd be, they'd be mine. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. So eight years in the Pacey podcast and now into yes. Sportsmith, right? So eight years mm. when you think about it, right? You think of those 370 plus episodes that you've got in the can now. Watching that evolution, because you've been, I think, 
also almost narrating a critical time in elite sport because of the change that we had. Like the US especially, we had nothing in terms of sports science in 2013. That's why Catapult got so popular, right? All of a sudden, we were making the subjective objective, you know, with data sets, and that was powerful. Over those eight years, have there been milestone moments? Have there been stepping stones? Has there been specific insights that you remember that you go, holy shit, hang on a minute. You know, that pivots my thinking. That's a moment that I can change. Oh my God, this is so valuable. I've, I, I, we've got to get this out there. We've got to enable practitioners. Have you heard of this? Have you heard of that? Have there been moments like that through this journey? Um, I think there's been ebbs and flows with certain things. I think one, th- I asked this question and we're just having a, a chat with a friend of the day and it's interesting because I'm going through a process yeah. now of looking back through transcripts of, of episodes that I've done I've done previously mm. and the, the kind of right. topics that do come up in conversation. And there was times in the, the last eight years that culture and buy-in and the softer side has been has been pushed forward and that's mm. been a very much a um, an interest for people. And I think right. we seem to be coming back, for me, my, my personal experience from, from speaking to people, is that we seem to coming back to the hard science. And I think there was there was mm. one conversation right. that I had recently with a psychologist and a, a, um, a speed coach who was b- big here in the UK and making his way into the, uh, into the US, who've collaborated. Yeah. And I think that the reason for that collaboration, from what I'm led to believe from speaking to those two guys, is for the speed coach to get the psychologist and coaching science guy to appraise what he's doing from a, a actual mm. coaching point of view. And I think that kind of collaboration is right. is really interesting. Not going down the hard science, not going mm. down the buy-in and the the kind of fluffier stuff, but this collaboration. I think that's probably a culmination right. of those ebbs and flows with them two topics over the last mm. last eight years. And I think again. Just thinking mm. how things ebb and flow. Pre-2015, 2016, I don't know when you left Catapult, Gary, but that yeah. time period, it was all about train load. It was all about GPS. Yeah. And we've kind yeah. of moved away mm. from that slightly. Now we're in a cool situation where we're talking about deeper data science. We're talking about people learning R and getting into yeah. conversations and arguments of whether you know what kind of data skills coaches should have because they're dealing with more and more data, what kind of skills should they have in dealing with this? Should it be left to the sports sports scientists and the data scientists, or should these coaches be upskilling themselves so they're actually getting an insight and understanding what they're presenting or what has been presented? So I think there's probably not been any, like, watershed moments for me, but it's just, for me, it was Mm. the interest in these ebbs and flows of what people, what really Mm. resonates with people. Um, I mean, there was, the, while right. I'm thinking about it, there was something in particular which definitely kicked off a number of episodes and probably has, has caused controversy mm. ever since, which is something like the Nord Board, which is born out of a university, taken on the commercials through through Vald and mm. has polarised the polarising industry, really, with its applicability. And maybe that is because it's been commercialised. Yeah. And there's people making 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 exactly. money off it, but I yeah. think that's a, again another interesting uh, interesting topic. 
don't know if I answered that question, but <laughs> I remember, you know, the whole, yeah, I think uh, you had a couple of podcasts maybe over a short term that were kind of interrelated and people were asking the question, right? Because when we look at something like hamstring injury, and again, most injuries, right, it falls into this bucket of a multifactorial mechanism relative to how that injury occurred. And, you know, it's really the ability to unpack that from an injury standpoint and look backwards. We'll understand whether it is strength in balance, which the Nord board, you know, will measure and represent, you know, very in, in a very single plane of activity, right? But we know that, you know, does that apply across into the real world, into those movement paradigms? And it's watching guys like, you know, Marcus Elliott over at mm-hmm. P3 kind of look at things like, you know, yeah. use force plates and use uh, motion capture to understand movement individually, not in general, but individually. And then where is that athlete at risk that I think will probably be more of the future? Because I think... Uh, one of the challenges we have in the industry is this almost economy of thinking. Tell, Give me a binary, is this good or bad? Give me that. And then the second layer is, okay, then because the, because the numbers say this, let's cut back, right? Let's cut back on that training today. Let's, let's regress what we're doing. And Mate, the amount of like general managers and coaches that I talk to who get frustrated as hell with sports scientists, it's because this data is being misused and it's and it's kind of representing, you know, let's let's compress what the athlete does uh, and they miss this whole hey, where's adaptation in that model, right? It's like yeah, if you want them to be not injured, yeah, put them in cotton wool and you know just break them out for the game, right? Yeah. Don't practice at all, right? You get those kind of things and those elements, so. Yeah, it, it, it is really interesting, but the whole, you know, the, the peer-to-peer education model that I think you've set up um, is an enablement tool, right? I mean, when I, I can get on there and I can track down people too, I mean, there's been many a time on a podcast, man, I want to connect with this guy and go a little deeper on a, on a subject matter. And I've been surprised, you know, they get back yeah. to me right away, you know, whether it's through LinkedIn or through something else. And, we, and we're able to have those discussions. So yeah, at the end of the day, you know, it's just better for our athletes where if we can evolve the athlete, we can evolve the sport. But having said that, um, with the podcast, what's the future? Um, like as you're as you're designing this and moving it forward, are you kind of saying, hey, here's where I think it wants to go. I'm going to navigate a specific direction. Or are you taking on board, a, you know, people are saying, hey, you should talk to this guy or I really, here's an area of topic interest. How do you design your plan? Uh, for who's engaged and who's on board. Yeah, I think this goes not only with the podcast, but the wider kind of sports myth content. And it's a little bit of both. It's it's yeah. and it's navigating social media, seeing what people are talking about, seeing what mm. topics are, are hot at that right. time. If I was going to do that right now, I would become a website that is dedicated to speed. Like that's the way I would go because yeah. anything that is dedicated to speed right is flying off the shelves right now because that is an obsession, a serious wow. obsession. So yes, of course. It's right. Making sure that, yes, you do go on hot topics and you do go down the speed route of 2022, mm. but it's also keeping these other streams that are maybe less hot right now, but keeping them streams running right. throughout. So, and, and obviously getting recommendations from people. But I think one place that I do gravitate towards is, is social media because – you get do get an insight is right. into what pushes people's buttons and what um, mm. what areas people are discussing. What areas is there a little bit of misunderstanding? And if there's a misunderstanding, mm. well, that's for a reason. We need to plug that gap with X 
expert or why expert and, and get them involved in the in the right. sportsman ecosystem. So to answer your question, it's a little bit of both. And one thing that is hmm. probably run throughout the Pace Performance Podcast and Sportsman is a little bit of my intuition of just speaking to people, speaking to you, see what's going on, speaking right. to other people, yeah. just see what see yeah. what problems people are coming across, see what tech is out there, see what mm. you know who mm. they're talking to and, and just try to pull all that together and try to form some sort of plan of, of, of trying to appeal to a an audience to, to help them answer the questions that they want answering. Yeah, it's it's an interesting model too, right? Because for the tech companies that I talk to and keep engaged with and like, mate, as you know, there's one a week that probably reaches out to you and there's, you know, I get one a yeah. week on a phone call says, hey, yeah, have yeah. you seen this tech? Have you seen that? You know, technology, it's it's generally ahead of the curve, ahead of the practitioner, right? I mean, because the, sometimes these tech comes in and then you've got to sit back and look at it. Is it noise or is it signal? Is it and, and that's across my entire, say, 25-man roster. Is it a uh, signal for one guy because I'm trying to un- unpack a problem and then you've got to get into the whole you know, cost-benefit analysis of deployment of technology and, you know, does it, can it integrate? Can it be as part of an ecosystem or, or do I have to look at this in a silo? Um, there's so many decisions that come up and I think that's, you know, most, especially in North America, what I've seen with technology purchases is that they are done purely off a, connect, uh, a competitive yeah. vein, right? If they've got it, we must have it, right? And at Catapult, we grew to 21 NFL teams really quickly um, yeah. because of that, right? They didn't even know what they were buying. Come in, we'll write a check. And by the way, yeah. what are we buying, right? And so it was a great time to be in around yeah. technology, but... Yeah, and that was the beauty of, uh, for me specifically, I've never lost my practitioner um, roots and I've always kept a practitioner Mm -hmm. job, like still working with the Australian national team in baseball, for example, and really just 2020 coming off, you know, full-time work as a practitioner back in baseball, especially in Asia. So when I look at that and I and I go back and I understand that, I always approach it from, you know, would I buy this technology? How how can I use it? And what's what what will it liberate for me? Because, you know, part of that model, as we talk about athlete-centric modeling and systems, I think the biggest challenge that most sports scientists face is the communication across to the head coach, the guy that's setting strategy, the guy that's uh, that has his underlings setting tactical and uh, parts of that strategic equation. Quite often, um, I think there's a disconnect between what a coach wants to do strategically versus what the availability and even capacity in physical systems are of the athletes that he is seeking that off. And because he hasn't communicated it down to, say, performance, strength, and conditioning, sports science, they're not communicating up, right? Um, A great example of this for me was in the NFL, uh, working with the Miami Dolphins. Joe Philbin at the time was a head coach. It was early days of Catapult, I think uh, late 2013, maybe 2014. Um, And we looked at the way these athletes were moving through a whole, like, six weeks' worth of in-camp high-speed data and we, I looked at him one day, I looked at Joe Philbin, the head coach, I said, mate, you've got your wide receivers lined up on the wrong side of the field if you want to execute these out routes because this guy turns better the other way and so does his counterpart. And he's like, and he stopped dead in his tracks and he goes, okay, let's, let's make that shift. Who the <laughs> hell am I? You know, as, a, as a, an Australian guy who's in there working for Catapult to tell you, the head coach of an NFL team, how to use your players, right? But that was the beginning. 
for me. And that's where I saw something coming through. So every time I've been in those situations too, it's it's a matter of finding that who's leading the charge? Who's the cultural leader? Is it the manager? Is it the head coach? You know, how do we how do we show value in the data and make it a tool that they can use? Right. I think for me, that's always being part of the missing element. And we hope that sports scientists can morph in into that equation and, and, and do that. Yeah, I think one thing he said at the start there with with just being inundated with the amount of tech, I think that's one big one huge challenge mm. for sports scientists or practice, performance practitioners mm. out there is sifting through the amount of emails they'll get from prospective companies wanting to sell their products. Yeah. And you've you've got to be oh you've got to be on your game, and I think a lot of the time, especially now, it's just a no. It's just a no. I've got other things to do because it, it will be weekly for these guys and girls. It is seriously overwhelming. Mm. So from the other side, you've got to be you've got to be clever in how you actually tr- try to get these guys and girls to understand the value of your technology, and you've got to be yep. it's got to be robust. Because if it's not, there's going to be mm. you already there's already people out there wanting to shoot you down because they're overwhelmed as it is. Right. So I think from the other side, it's got to be watertight. And as we know, if mm. things aren't watertight and someone finds out, it spreads like wildfire. So yeah, I think it's an interesting area, and I think mm. it'll be interesting to see which tech emerges and, and becomes the next catapult or stat sports or whoever it is right. um, because it's mm. just getting harder and harder for practitioners to sift through what is going to be valuable and what's not and what's going right. to not only what they're going to integrate within their department but what is going to make an impact into the for the head coach for the assistant coach um, yeah. for, the, for medical because it isn't just about getting something that fits the, the department it's it's got to be integrated within the, the wider the wider system yeah yeah no doubt 100 percent, mate well i tell you what rob we could talk i could talk to you for hours it's just i don't know whether it's the you know the, the comfortability i have you know um you know because we've been on i, I think very similar arcs yeah. career-wise and uh, i think again you know the work you're doing with compiling this type of information over at sportsmith and we'll make sure our listeners have a link to that as i as i mentioned earlier but i think the sky's the limit and the one thing i think sportsmith does is you know, if you're selling anything, mate, you're selling time, yes. right? Because, you know, the information that we're getting is like, it's 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 having a cohort group is what it feels like of, you know, like-minded practitioners who are all seeking, you know, information to evolve their athletes. And they, and for, most, for the most part, the people that I've listened to on the podcast are all kind of athlete-centric individuals. And you know that they are driven by the success of their athletes, not so much their mm-hmm. own paycheck or their own higher... Yeah, position in a hierarchy of an organization. I think that's what's that's what's beautiful about Sportsmith, mate. So, um, yeah, uh, you've got an avid fan in me and an active listener <laughs> weekly. Thank you very much. It's very kind. We've got some some cool stuff coming down the pipe, which is which is exactly try, trying to do exactly that, which is saving people time. And one thing that I've identified, and you don't have to be a genius to identify this, but more and more research coming out that is that is just again overwhelming for for practitioners to stay up to date right. mm. and i think for me personally I, I i speak for the the probably intermediate slash younger younger coach out there it's understanding what these research papers are telling me like how can i implement should i be implementing right. that what is that how does that affect mm. me tomorrow 
So what we're doing over the next couple of months is is creating a um, a research review, basically, which is mm. uh, 12 practitioners Excellent. who are all household names in our industry mm. who are going to be reviewing a research yep. paper each, be 12 per month. So people can people wow. can save time. And there is research review services out there currently. But again, what mm. I try to how I try to differentiate is always the quality of the people who are involved. Like yeah. I can review a research paper and mm. it'll be a slightly different quality to the research review that's going to be coming out through these people. So having the confidence that these guys and girls are the best of the best and what are they, what they're saying is yeah. is um, legitimate. So that's where we're trying to differentiate between um, what we're going to do at Sportsmith and what's currently out there. So yeah, hopefully the time saver, Beautiful. hopefully help the the coaches out mm. there who are who are struggling to keep up with the amount of research that get is, that's getting churned out um, on a daily basis in our industry now. Yeah, and you never know, mate. It's one thing that'll come out of a, a podcast, whether it's you know research driven or whether it's experientially driven. You never know, right? A practitioner hears that information one day and is able to apply it to a scenario that is kind of a game changer for them even that week. And when I say game changer for them, I'm sure you've saved a lot of jobs <laughs> over the years too because all of a sudden, you know, people are, you know, we're starting to get a, a almost a group mm. narrative around, hey, this is the direction we need to go. And and again, I think you've uh, absolutely nailed the place no, to do and the place to learn. So thank you very much. It's very kind of you. This was awesome, buddy. And I know we're going to chat down the road. We want to do some panels. We want to have some people in and around us, you know, from elite athletes to practitioners as we move kinetics as a product into the marketplace. Because the thing I'm looking for the, with this product is we don't know yeah. what we don't know, yeah. right? When it comes to we've got force plates, but they're in a lab. We can we can get all that data now out of an imperceptible insole that you don't even know yeah. is in your shoe, what is that going to open up, right? Aggregate force data, force impulse data for specific movements and conditions that are actually on field and on pitch. That's the stuff I'm, yeah. I'm kind of lit up about to try to find out, stay on that path. But, uh, mate, and as we find stuff, hopefully we'll have some research that you'll be unpacking as well. Absolutely. Sounds good to me. Again, buddy, congratulations. Pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Really appreciate it. Cheers, Gary. Thank you for listening to the Human Kinesome Project podcast. The Kinesome is starting to take shape. The team, the game is just beginning.